This morning we continue in our sermon series looking at the life of David from First and Second Samuel and then partnering that with the prayers and songs of David in the Psalms. And so we've been reading um, in advance of the sermon and then hearing kind of a combination of what we read prior to the service, which I'll do a recap for those of you that are visiting. Uh, you weren't expected to know to read in advance, right? You get the get out the pass, the exempt card, and the rest of you, well, come on now. Um, all right. So anyway, this morning leads us to um, a message that I've titled, In the Darkest Valley. And so we're looking at 2 Samuel 1 and Psalm 23. And I'm going to read Psalm 23 partway through. That's going to be our primary text, and I'll read that um, along as we, we go in the sermon. But I want to um, just say that this morning we're focusing on loss and on disappointment. And earlier this week I ran into a colleague that said, are you going to say anything about what happened out in Las Vegas? And I said, well, as Providence would have it, we're going to talk about grieving and lament this morning. And so certainly as a nation, as individuals, we have um, experienced great loss. We've experienced loss and we've grieved with others as we've watched on television. We've experienced loss and grieved as we've heard the news of Betty and losing her sister. There's disappointments. We know that feeling of angst and like this just is not right. Like there's a disequilibrium, like all of a sudden things are going along and then boom. Ah, this hurts. It hurts deeply. David experienced loss and grief. And we ask you to read 2 Samuel chapter 1. But to just remind you from where we were last week, Pastor Dave preached about um, David being in the cave, remember? And he had the chance to kill Saul, but he didn't do it. He honored the Lord. And so what happened from the time that David was in the cave until today when he's grieving the loss of Saul and Jonathan? Well, David had joined with the Philistines and had been with them for a bit. And Saul had um, decided that he was going to press on and there was going to be a battle. He um, inquired of the occult for power and um, understanding in this situation. And the Lord um, said, actually, you and your sons are going to die. And so um, Saul and his sons were killed in battle, just as the Lord had said. And the Philistines had sent David away before this battle. And can you imagine, David was with them, and he had been exemplary in, in their presence. And yet they said, uh, we feel like you need to leave. And um, so disoriented, David feeling rejected yet again and out in the desert on his own. And he goes back and he finds that he goes to Ziklag and finds that um, the Amalekites, God's um, fierce enemy that was against God's people, had come and ravaged the whole town. And so they had taken his wife, all the children, all the women, all the children, all the um, cattle, and had plundered the whole city. And so here is this grief, and it describes in First Samuel towards the end, 
this incredible, like there was such grieving that some of the men were so exhausted they couldn't even go into battle when the Lord said, actually, I want you to go against the Amalekites now, David. And 200 of the guys had to stay back. They were too exhausted from grieving. Grief takes its toll. It's emotionally completely draining. They just didn't have hope. They were falling into despair. And yet David went, and the Lord, in his the Lord's strength, gave David favor and was able to defeat the Amalekites. And he just gets back, and he hears the news that his dear, beloved friend Jonathan has been killed in battle. And Saul the one who had made his life miserable and was supposed to be mentoring David, had also been killed. And so that's where we find and pick up this story this morning of loss. And David writes a lament in Second Samuel. You don't need to turn to your passage in your Bibles if you don't want to. I've got it on the slide. But I want to just pick up a few words from this lament. What is a lament? It's a cultural ritual, they would write a poem or a song to indicate a tragic event that had happened for individuals or for a city. And so laments have been handed down through the years, and we still have this in our culture. Um, Maybe you read the news and heard that um, a group of um, Latin performers have written a song called um, Almost Like Praying to raise funds for Puerto Rico. Uh, So um, Jennifer Lopez, Gloria Estefan, and others have been singing this song um, of lament and naming every city, the mountainous cities, the um, bigger cities, the little cities, all the towns. um, Lament, naming the hurt, naming the pain, is something that has handed down through cultures. Well, David writes this lament. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel... Weep for Saul, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. David writes a lament, and he wants to teach everybody to say these words, to speak these words. Weep. For Saul, grieve, grieve for our loss of Jonathan. David names the emotions that are feeling. And often in our culture and even in our church culture, we tend to avoid things that make us uncomfortable. We don't want to cry. We don't want to admit that we're just completely off balance because of losses that we've experienced. Walter Brueggemann, a theologian, says this, that the psalms of lament point out the pain and grief, and they do that without finding fault, but it are things that need to be processed with the Lord. And if we don't process them with the Lord, 
We just try to avoid them and sweep it under the rug. Or we think that we feel guilty, like maybe something's wrong with me because am I not supposed to be walking around with the joy of the Lord? And so you can feel kind of um, conflicted if we don't bring our emotions, all of them, the happy, joyful ones, and also the painful, sad, confused feelings that we have at a time when we go through such incredible loss. I want you to notice that David didn't just say, let's grieve Jonathan's loss. He said, let's weep for Saul. And sometimes, friends, when somebody dies that's been a very difficult relationship, sometimes we grieve even more strongly because we wish that things had been different. And all of a sudden we realize that that's not going to happen. And so there's a grief. There's a grief that happens. But now what about David's prayers? What prayers, what psalm might coincide? And interestingly, we look at Psalm 23 today. And so um, I want to read Psalm 23. And I wish we all had the same version because then we would all read it out loud together. But, um, and actually, who cares if there's a few little words that are different? Let's just do that, okay? Let's read Psalm 23 together. And if your version says something a little different, then we'll just know that from translation to translation, there's a few words that are changed. But Psalm 23, let's read. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. And this, my friends, is a type of lament. And I, at first, when I was looking at this, I thought, now how does this tie in with what we read from Samuel? He's in this lament and grief. How does Psalm 23 fit in? But it's a specialized type of lament, and it's called a song or a psalm of confidence. And so in the place of deep, deep pain, speaking and praying, what you know to be true and believe and confident of in the Lord. God's word has been a source of comfort through the years. And I've got an article from the press. I don't know where it is. Yeah, here it is. I don't know if you saw this in the Grand Rapids Press this week in the religion section, but Christianity may be in decline, but presidents still turn to the Bible in times of tragedy. And so our presidents quoting from the Psalms, quoting from these very words that David wrote years and years ago, because that's where we find our comfort. And I want to say that it isn't just presidents that are comforting 
um, the nation, and they turn to these words. But actually, we comfort one another with the very words of the Lord and even through this psalm. And this is where Betty's given me permission to share a story. We talked on the phone the other day. And um, Betty, as it was mentioned earlier, had a near brush with death recently. And she was in the hospital and between what you might call a rock and a hard spot. She couldn't breathe. Breathing was very difficult. And they said, if you don't have surgery, you probably aren't going to be alive in six months. And yet, her physical body was in this condition that it was a very high risk to have surgery. And so, Betty and I had a sweet time in the Lord in the hospital room. And as we talked, we talked about the possibility of healing. We talked about the possibility of death. And actually, we planned a little bit about her funeral just in case because we didn't know. I said, Betty, what would you like to have preached at your funeral? Psalm 23. So I talked to her this week and said, how do you feel about hearing your funeral sermon (laughs) early? (laughs) All right. So we read these words. And we anointed her head with oil. And I said, Betty, would it be okay if I anointed your head with oil? And she said, oh, yes, Pastor Gina. I remember when you did that before, and the Lord is with me. I said, Betty, are you at peace? Oh, I'm at peace. God is right here with me. Start Valley, and he'll lead me through life through the good, the bad, and the ugly that goes on in life. He gives me the peace that I need at times like this when we grieve for my sister's death, for the fact that he healed. And I was at death's door, and he said, No, Betty, I'm not ready yet. I have things for you to do. And he will show me what he has for me to do. And I will do them because I know that he will help me through them. Thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in right paths. The Lord's peace came, and by the time I left that hospital room, Neither of us knew how the Lord was going to lead, but we were absolutely confident that he was leading. There is great, great peace and great, great comfort in the word of the Lord. And in these words, such a popular psalm, so familiar, and yet sometimes we read over it quickly and we kind of miss some of the richness of it. And so I want to just take a moment to look at this psalm and say, What do we see here? And we see, first of all, in those first couple of verses, in verse 2, we see a picture of peace. Green pasture, still waters, restoring a soul. We were promised and we can be confident that our good shepherd will give us peace. He says, 
that um, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so we have a shepherd who is with us, who's present with us in every situation, in every trial, in every disappointment. We have protection. The shepherd is our protection. We don't need to fear any evil because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We have a place at the table. How many of you just really want to have a place at the table? If you came in and all of a sudden you realized there wasn't a place for you, what a bummer. Well, when we're talking about the Lord, it is a bummer. There is a place that's prepared for you, and not only prepared for a temporary, but prepared permanently, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is our good shepherd, and so when we're in these trials and these deep seasons of loss, these are our promises. Then there's these pictures of oil and a table and a cup that overflows, and this picture of a shepherd with the oil and just taking a little of that oil and putting it right on the nose of the sheep. Well, what's he doing? Well, actually, that oil was medicine. That was healing for the healing of the sheep. Maybe it got scratched because it butted its nose up against something. Or maybe there were some pesky flies, and that oil was keeping those pesky flies and parasites away. That's a picture of he anoints my head with oil. But, you know, there's another picture here of this table, and it kind of seems to move from sheep and shepherd into like this um, human being table and a meal and a glass of water. Did you know that shepherd was a metaphor for king? And so when he's saying the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying the Lord is my king. Well, why would the king anoint somebody's head with oil? Would that work in that? And actually, the archaeological Bible was helpful in looking at that and said that a guest of honor, the host, would anoint with oil. And they had the place of honor. They, had, they were a guest of honor because their head was anointed with oil. And so who is this one that is our king and our God? Is the one who says, you are my guest of honor. He spreads out a table before the enemies. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of a covenant. When they were going to con- have a covenant, a promise together, they would p- set out a meal and set out a table. And so it's this picture that our Lord and our shepherd is the one who's promised that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us, that we are chosen. Just exactly what you read to us this morning from Isaiah. Chosen ones. And this cup that overflows, Pastor Dave was helpful with this. He filled me in on this picture. What is this a picture of when this cup is overflowing? Well, when the host, it was a um, cultural thing. Trying to think of the words to say. But like, all right, Southern hospitality. Remember, I'm from the South. So my mama, if we had guests, like there was always extra food. And, like, she was up filling their sweet tea before it was, like, down this far in the glass. She was up, let me get you some more, let me get you some more. She wanted to make sure her guests felt welcome. Well, in this ancient Near Eastern culture, the um, host, if he wanted you to stick around, he kept filling up your glass with water. But remember, water was a precious commodity, right? Clean water. If he wanted you to go and it was time to go, he didn't refill your glass anymore. 
All right? And so the Lord is the Lord who keeps filling our glass and keeps filling our glass and keeps filling our glass. He's saying, I don't ever want you to go. You're always welcome. You are my beloved. I am so happy to have you here. The sheep and the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And I want to tell you a few lessons about sheep and shepherds. Sheep being um, compared to a sheep is really not um, an on, like it's not the greatest compliment ever. Um, Sheep are kind of dumb and they're incredibly fearful uh, animals and they need constant tending. And so if you are a healthy sheep, it's because you have a good shepherd. And if you are a weakling and um, struggling and um, empty-eyed, apathetic sheep, you're just looking over at that other field and thinking, that shepherd takes such good care of them. But these other sheep that are neglected, they don't get good care and they fail to, th- to thrive. So it takes a good shepherd always watching out for those sheep. He has to keep them fed. He protects them from the nightly dangers. Coyotes, any kind of wild animal might come, and those sheep are just real targets. They're real um, feeble, and, and so needs a shepherd to be protecting, always protecting. The sheep are, t- are so timid and fearful that they won't lie down unless these four things are taken care of. They have to be free of fear free of friction from other sheep, like they have to be in good relationship with the other sheep around them. They have to be free from pests and flies, and they have to be free from hunger. And so for a shepherd who's in this um, kind of deserty Palestinian environment to shepherd the sheep, he has his work cut out for him trying to provide for food, provide for water, make sure the pesty flies stay away, that the sheep are settled with each other. And really, they said even a, a, a rabbit jumping out from behind a bush can send the whole flock stampeding. How are we like sheep? Do we run with this anxiety that just anything that happens and we get fearful and we start to scatter or if there's any little friction between us, we just, oh, it just gets to us, right? That's why we needed to be reminded about um, confessing and forgiving each other, not letting things be between us. And so the good shepherd is always watching over the sheep, counting the sheep, making sure they didn't stray off, making sure they didn't cast down. It says, the um, Lord restores my soul. And scripture says, oh, My soul, why are you so cast down? Well, what does it mean? The sheep would fall over. If they laid down and rolled over just a little bit, they'd go upside down. And within, if the environment was right, two hours, the sheep would die. They'd flail their little legs, and gases would build up in their tummy. Circulation would cut off, and they would die. They needed the shepherd to just run over and watch them and right them and get them upright. Do you understand what he's saying about being a good shepherd? This is our good shepherd that when we're in the grief process, when we're struggling, he's watching you. He's watching you. He's watching you. And he's wanting to write you and turn you back up and restore your soul and comfort you and bless you. And it's these pictures that David writes for us about sheep and shepherds to help us understand 
that this is the one who watches over us with that kind of diligence. This is our good shepherd. And so no matter what happened in Las Vegas, the Lord saw it and he's ready to comfort and bring strength and hope. And so in times of great stress and grief, David found his strength in the Lord. All right. So, Lord, um, we thank you that you help us to um, stay focused now and that we hear the hope of your message. We bind distraction in Jesus' name. All right. In times of great stress and in great grief, David found his hope and his strength in the Lord. And remember, Jonathan, what did Jonathan do for David early on? He came and strengthened him in the Lord. He told him what was true. And then what did David do? It says in 1 Samuel that he strengthened himself. When he got back from um, all the the wives and children being um, taken off by the enemy, he strengthened himself in the Lord before he went into battle. And then what does he do for us? in this process of his own grief of Jonathan and Saul dying, he writes this psalm to help strengthen us and himself and the others in the Lord. He writes this psalm to help us know that we can bring and cry out to the Lord in our grief and our pain and bring every situation to the Lord because the Lord cares about our sorrow and pain And remember, he came to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring relief for the captives, to change our mourning into dancing, right? In songs of praise. How do we do this? I believe that we do this through prayer, because that's what David shows us, is that he wrote a prayer, he wrote a song that where he would call out to the Lord, And then he would receive the strength and the encouragement of what was true. We call out to the Lord. We pray for each other. And we also, just that was like praying for each other was when I went to visit Betty at the hospital and prayed for her. Somebody prayed, a group of people prayed for me just recently. You know, we need the strength and encouragement of praying for each other. And we're getting ready to commission a prayer team that's going to be praying for one another. So when we're in these times of grief and difficulty, we can have people that will speak what's true and pray and help turn us, write us up. When we're flipped over on our backs, like, oh, grief has overtaken me, they come and set us up like a little sheep on its back, and we get back up on the feet. And did you know they said the shepherds would sometimes just have to rub down those legs and hold that sheep as their circulation starts? to go back through that sheep's body. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the Lord wants to do to us and through others to comfort and strengthen us? And then we pray for the church. Psalm 23 has been part of the church's prayers down through history. And today we're going to learn more about how do we intercede for the church? How do we pray for the church? David gives us all these beautiful psalms to pray for the church How do we pray for one another and encourage one another 
in the darkest valley, we speak what is true. Why are they going through a dark valley? Well, actually, when they're going through a dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death, see, the um, sheep, they were just they would stay in the same little pasture and they would eat all the food. They'd go around and eat all the food, and it says they would completely agriculturally completely demolish that soil. But the shepherd knew what those sheep needed. He knew that the good stuff in the summer was up in the tablelands higher, and he would take them through the mountain pass, which was in the valley. It was dark. But do you know that in that dark valley, the sheep didn't know where they were going, and it's very disequilibrium, right? Like you're off when you happen to go somewhere you've never been before. But the shepherd knew that that was where the water supply was, that if there was vegetation, green vegetation anywhere between down here and up there, it was going to be along that valley. And they were going up to those tablelands, those green pastures, those still waters that would restore their souls. And so today I want to say that if you or if someone you know is going through a really, really difficult time, the Lord's taking you to the tablelands. He's taking you through a deep valley. And it may be dark and it may be difficult to understand what's happening, but you can trust your good shepherd is leading you right where you need to be. Right where you need to be. Let's pray. I love those words, um, church family. Have a seat. I love those words. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true because... I think that that is a picture of the posture of our heart as we enter into prayer ministry. Pastor Gina just talked about the way in which we come around each other in struggle, in suffering, in darkness, and we speak to each other what's true. And that, that's just a, a beautiful picture. Here I am, Lord. I'm struggling. I'm stuck. It's dark for me. Speak what's true. And we come, and in the name of Jesus and in the authority of Jesus... And with the love of Jesus, we speak what's true. And Jesus says, the truth sets free. The truth brings life. Mary Sternberg, would you come up here and join me for a minute? I'm sorry, I didn't prepare you for this, but you can handle it. I, I just, I know, give me a hug. <laughs> Mary is a dear friend, and I haven't seen her since before I went on sabbatical. But I want to tell you about how we became friends, and um, about what we're gonna, how Mary being up here has to do with what we're gonna do next, which is to commission people for speaking what's true, for prayer ministry in this church. Uh, probably about six years ago or so, I was this young pastor who was reading. Uh, a couple of scripture passages over and over. And if there's anybody who belongs to Gold Avenue Church who doesn't have Isaiah 61, 1 to 3 memorized yet, I don't know where you've been. (laughs) Because it's been on my lips every other service. It's this word about Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, to bring good news, to loose people from dark prisons, bring comfort where there's despair, to lift off that despair, to replace it with praise. And it's all about the ministry of Jesus that we saw unfolded in his life when he came and he was among us. But then these are the words 
that got me praying. John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And it was through those words that the Lord launched me personally, and I believe us as a whole church, on this prayer journey. I just began to, I hit my knees and began to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I understand that you want to work through us. It's your spirit doing the same things that you've always done, but I don't have any idea what that looks like. I don't have any idea how that happens. Jesus, how do we share with you and participate in your work of binding up the brokenhearted and setting captives free? And God's first answer to that was Mary. I found myself on my knees in front of Mary at a training saying, help. And she said, yes. And she prayed for me with a friend. Two of them prayed for me right there. But then Mary began to teach and to give teaching and to direct me uh, to a stream of teaching that I could really appreciate, Presbyterian Reform Ministries International. And uh, we call them PRMI. But um, about, oh, I'd say eight months after Mary and I met, we found ourselves planning an initial training in this church called Praying with Hurting People. Mary was going to come and just do some initial teaching. And uh, the day before the teaching, we were preparing for that and we were praying through the church. And I can tell you exactly where I was standing, straight behind Rick Houtstra on the other side of that glass panel. That's where I was standing when Mary was standing up here praying through the sanctuary, and in the midst of her prayers, she prayed, Lord Jesus, make this church a place of your healing. Where your healing ministry, Jesus, your love is experienced. And it was like the Lord took those words and just went into my spirit. It's like, you know what it's like when God takes a word and he puts it in? This church This expression of my body on earth will be a place where people experience the healing of Jesus Christ's love. And so we together as a church have affirmed that Jesus wants his love to rush like a mighty river out through us into this neighborhood and the world. And we have prayed and we have been praying. But when you start to work with Jesus, you don't just go from A to Z in a moment. These disciples had three years with Jesus. He said this to them at the end of his ministry. He'd already said, come and follow me. And so we've been hearing Jesus say to us, come and follow me. Come and learn from me. And so we've been on a journey. And we're all in different spots of that journey and learning how to work with the Lord and him through us. But this last year, a whole bunch of us went on a journey Uh, And I'm going to call you to come forward right now. Why don't you just come while I'm continuing to describe this. We had ten people from our church and five from the greater Grand Rapids area, other Christian Reformed churches, participate in a year-long advanced healing and deliverance course through PRMI. Our classes, the regional body of churches that we are a part of, said to us, this need for prayer ministry is so strong that we want to support you and send you, and we want you to be a ministry site. We want you to train other people. That's what the classes said to us. 
And so this group of people that you see standing here now are a group of people that, as we prayed, heard the Lord say, come and follow me. Come and learn about my ministry of healing. Come and share with me in that ministry. And so what we're going to do now is we are going to officially commission them for that ministry, and we're going to do that in three ways. We're going to anoint them with oil. That oil is symbolic not only of the healing that Pastor Gina talked about in the um, psalm that she just preached, but of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We don't do this ministry in our own strength. Jesus gifts us. Jesus fills us. Jesus works through us. We share in his anointing. We're going to lay hands on them, and that's not a mere gesture of niceness. That actually is a a transmission of authority. I delegate to you and entrust to you the authority to work under this church on Jesus' behalf. So there's a delegation of authority, which also brings with it accountability. And then the third thing we're going to do is we are going to pray for them. So I'm going to invite Pastor Gina to come forward now. And uh, this is how we're going to do this. Um, I am going to walk along this line, and I'm going to begin with my wife, Anne. And um, I'm just going to speak to each person and anoint them. And Pastor Gina is going to follow behind me, and she's actually going to give them a gift. Um, We received this gift as a church. These are little vials of anointing oil. James 5 tells us if anyone's sick, call the elders of the church, anoint them with oil. And so um, she's going to gift each one of them with a vial of anointing oil as they enter into Jesus' healing ministry here at Gold Avenue Church. And Westra, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his healing ministry through Gold Avenue Church. Mark, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Neil, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Anna, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Victoria, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Stephanie, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing in Gold Avenue Church. Mary, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to continue sharing with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. And everywhere the Lord takes you. Vic, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ, to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Caroline, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ 
share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Harry, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Harry, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Katie, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Chess, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Teo, I anoint you in the name of Jesus Christ to share with Jesus in his ministries of healing through Gold Avenue Church. Healing prayer team, walk in the love of the Lord. Be strengthened with the peace and the joy that is yours in Jesus Christ. Pray at all times. Pray unceasingly. Stand strong in the authority that the Lord has given you. Bring the good news. Bind up broken hearts. Drive out demons and set captives free. I want to invite the elders and Pastor Julissa to join us up front. We are going to lay hands and pray for this group. And congregation, you're going to be a part of that praying. And I'm just going to share some of the things that we're going to be praying for. We're going to be praying for empowering. It takes faith to cooperate with Jesus, to work with him in prayer ministry. We're going to pray for gifts of faith and other spiritual gifts to be stirred up. Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift God has given you through the laying on of hands. So we're going to be praying for empowering. We're going to be praying for spiritual gifts. We're going to be praying for um, people who need healing, deliverance, salvation to be drawn by the Holy Spirit to Gold Avenue Church. We're going to be praying for the spiritual protection of the Lord Jesus over this ministry and the church. And we're going to be praying for the growth of the ministry. And so I invite you to extend a hand of blessing or prayer toward this group. If anyone wants to come forward and join um, with prayer, pray as you feel led and comfortable.